What came first, the chicken or the egg? Well, it doesn't really matter, does it? Well, what came first, having the confidence to communicate or communicating with confidence? Well, again, it doesn't really matter, and I'll tell you why. Because this session with Paul Ryan today, who is one of the finest trainers in both communicating and presenting, is going to give you the confidence that you need. He gave me it to take your game to a whole new level. Enjoy every single second. Let's do this. Paul, is communication the most important skill in life? Is communication... It's funny, isn't it? Because I said, are you going to throw me some curveballs and you've come at me with such a massive question? Well, the answer is very simple. Yeah. Why? Well, because if you've got something... Listen, you might have the best idea in the world, but if you don't, for example, have the volume to communicate it, you haven't got the magnet. You just, have you've you? just proved it. You know what I mean? <laughs> of course, it's really important. It's vitally important. We want to take our ideas and communicate them clearly and well and with enthusiasm so people buy into them, act on them, so that we motivate them to act. Why did you say ideas? How do you mean? I asked you about communication. The first thing you say, well, we've got ideas. We want to communicate them. Well, it's, it all depends, of course, what you want to communicate, what your basic material is that you want to put out there. You know, you can communicate it by print, can't you? You can communicate it by email. True. All of those things. I mean, I, I obviously, my speciality is not print work. It's not sending out emails. It's not copywriting, although I'm not bad. Um, it's speaking in the moment. And... It's the ideas that people have, the concepts that people have, that they've got to get out there so that people can understand them clearly, so that people can get hold of the idea, wrestle with it, and come up with thoughts of their own to make that idea their own, you know? Speaking in the moment. Yeah. That is it. That's the tough bit, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. like performance, performing in, when you're in sport, in the moment. Is that when communication goes wrong? Well, that's a really, really interesting point, isn't it? Because actually some people really love speaking in the moment. There are a few speakers out there um, who can extemporise, they can make it up, they're experienced, they've got their, their, their pool, if you like, of subjects and their material, they can, and they can throw it out there, be in the moment, answer questions, and it's all great. Yeah. Some people, I have to say the majority don't like doing that. They like, well, I'd say they like to prepare. They like to plan their stuff. What they fail to do is actually prepare properly by doing what? What do you think I want all of my clients to do? Practice out loud. Yeah, practice out loud completely. He knows this because he's been a client of mine, you see. But, hey, by the way, in the moment right now, it's far too hot. And it is. Leave, leave, <laughs> leave this on the podcast as I'm opening this window. Yeah, we, we heard kids out there and we thought we'll close it, but it is roasting today, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, this is one of those rare occasions where it's 30 degree heat in the UK and you've got to perform under extreme amounts of pressure in communicating. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, uh, we talk about this notion of practising. Most people don't like speaking in the moment. They don't like being on stage and not knowing what they're about to say, and I completely get that. One of the things that I, I mean, I've been teaching presentation skills for 20 years, for 12 years as Improve on You which is my little business, and over the years, and there's a whole host of things that I love teaching, and I get a lot out of helping people speak at their best when it matters the most, but I've come down to one thing, that none of it really matters, not really, unless what? you've practised it, unless you've said it out loud. You know, you can 
write it down and you can read it. You can get your slides together and you can go over them and think it through. And that's all very well. But if you don't say it out loud, you're going in front of your client or your studio or your uh, students rather, or your audience, and you're rehearsing in front of them, which is a terrible thing to do. Because that's when you get nervous. That's when your thoughts fly out of your head. Even and, and you know, it might be that with your slides, you'll look at your slides and you've overstuffed them so that they act as a script, and you'll just read them. Well, why not just give them the slides and spend the afternoon off? Yeah, I mean, that, well, that's that's one element of communication, isn't it? When you're doing a presentation, yep. the other element of communication is kind of everyday life. Yeah. So let's let's look in everyday life, but still performing in the moment as yep. you can. Yep. And, but let's relate to personal growth and business growth. Mm-hmm. So if we're thinking about business growth for a second and performing, mm-hmm. I'm thinking in meetings. In when, meetings, when, yeah. when When you've got a sales meeting, when you've got a yeah. meeting with the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's, what is crucial then in communicating at those points? The, the really crucial thing is to have your thoughts available to you. Because... We, well, for example, we know what we want to say. We know what, what it is we've got to go in there and achieve. But actually, if the stakes are high, um, we can go into low-level fight or flight. Blood goes all over the place. It drains away from the prefrontal cortex. And bang goes your executive decision-making process. Yeah, right. Your ability to think clearly. And that's why loads of people go, well, it was really great until I had to speak. And then I couldn't remember a thing. You know? It's the, one the of them things, goes When in your own mind, before... Before you've communicated, it's gone so perfect. Like, this is exactly what I'm going to say. And then yeah. then you end up speaking and halfway through, you're like, this is not how I'd planned it. This yeah. is not. And you yeah. begin to start hearing yourself. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of that, again, goes to the idea of prepping. You know, if it's, well, hang on a minute. If it's a meeting and you're putting forward an idea, it's a great idea to have said it out loud first, even if it's once. Okay, so you want to move away from the idea of presentations. I get that. If you want to have your thoughts in order, look at your posture. Because you know, yes, absolutely. <laughs> look at that. My yeah. goodness gracious me. Heavens above. You, you, you grew three inches in the saddle, yeah, if you'll forgive if, the expression. If only it was that easy, eh? Yeah, if only it was that easy. But it is. And that's the extraordinary thing. I think that it is that easy. To, look, here's the thing. Now, we're a podcast, but this also being filmed, correct? Yeah, yeah. So for the listener, I'm about to slouch. I'm about to go into uh, what I see often in meetings, which is people sitting forward with their hands on the desk, your hands clasped in front of yeah. them, and it's their turn to talk. It's and a bit actually, of a barrier, that, as well, isn't it? It can be a barrier, absolutely. Now, not only is it a barrier, but it can be something that you can suddenly start gripping your hands together, yeah, yeah? or leaning the whole host of things that are going on here that aren't help your th- aren't helping your thinking and one of the main things join me james go on slouch forward for me but have a, have a right old slouch that's it mate good now what we're both doing is we're compressing the lower third of our lung space we're we're we're, we're slouching down on it right so we're not able to draw in air to the lower third of our lungs but guess what that lower third holds two-third of our lung capacity Right? And what does breathing help us do? Think. So if we're sitting down here slouch, which is a slight fight or flight posture anyway, we're making ourselves small, yeah, because we don't really want to be seen. Um, we're protecting, we're protecting our, our throat by dropping our chin. We've got our shoulders over our, all our vital organs to protect ourselves. And like you say, I've got that nice gripping hand posture here. Um, that's going to that's gonna create a whole host of different mechanisms to kick off. You're going to be shallow breathing. 
shallow breathing, and again, that blood is going to trickle away from your prefrontal cortex. We want to encourage the blood to be in the right place at the right time. And so the first thing I do, and I mean, look, you know, you, we've worked together, and I've run workshops loads for action coaching. It's always great. And I do end up saying to people, look, I love what I teach because I use it, and the beauty of it is its simplicity. And once I've been through a process that lasts about an hour and a half, I'll say, look, here's, here's the truth of it. I've just taught you to sit up straight and stand up straight. But by going through the various, um, by breaking down the various elements and going into some of the science and some of the reasons why it works and changes, people are much more likely to take on those two crucially simple bits of advice. Uh, you know what? Big big realisation then is the importance of reminders because as soon as you said that then it was all of a sudden how aware it was incredible was, was I of course you, you nearly you, took you, you nearly took my eyes out with your yeah, battle yeah, chestedness it was go. so wonderful yeah absolutely you, Mike Borden a really good friend of yours yeah, yeah. now a really good friend of mine I've done loads of good stuff with him yeah. and he basically he talks about what you've just talked about as well and um, he, he uses the word inspiration yeah. Inspiration means to breathe in. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you want to inspire other people when you communicate. You've got to communicate from an inspired perspective. Yeah. So it means to expand. Yeah. And then it rides the crest of the wave. So you keep you you stay up, which which is obviously what you teach as you go through there. And there's something interesting as well. I mean, Mark Mark really is a great old man. He's so flipping intelligent as well. He scares the life out of me. Really, we did. Oh a, yeah. You, you, uh, you just you just agree with whatever he says. We used to call him the knowledge. That was his nickname. We used to call him Knowledge. Oh, Knowledge, because he, he was so so insightful and he knew his stuff. I mean, about all sorts of things, actually. If, he, if you're watching, mate, nice to see you. And I agree with everything you said and I always have done. <laughs> nonverbal communication. That is world number one on nonverbal communication. And look how beautifully you're doing yeah, well, it now. I'm just I'm riding the, great, truth, the truth plane, showing you the, my palms and my hands. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, But non, let's talk about nonverbal communication. Yeah. Because communication is verbal. Yep. Yeah. And nonverbal. So just pretend I know nothing about that. Yeah. Where do we start with nonverbal communication? Okay. So there's this really controversial thing called the Morabian Rule. You, 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 you do know it. Right. Uh, Albert Morabian, right? He was a professor emeritus in the, the UCLA, late 60s. He's still alive. And he hates people like me talking about using the Morabian Rule to talk about how we communicate. Because he thinks we take it out of... Um, context better now, not let him see this podcast but, well sorry mate but he, the poor man's fighting a losing battle the point is that he reckons uh, he did a study on levels of ease and dis-ease in social situations he's a psychologist and part of that was how do we communicate how do we send and receive messages now it goes like this seven percent is the words that we use 38 percent is yeah. the tone of words yeah. and 55 percent is Body language. Body language, absolutely. So there it is. That packs one hell of a punch. It really does. So knowing that, I always encourage, well, anybody really, but certainly people I'm working with, to think consciously about how they want their body language to work for them. Because there's, um, there's this other thing called proprioceptive psychology, which I have to tell you, took me about three months to learn how to say. <laughs> and every time I say it, I need a quick swig of uh, coffee proprioceptive psychology basically what you do you will feel the state of the human body determines the state of the human mind yeah so 
body language, we tend to think of it as only, well, it, it's passive. You know, we, it happens to us or we find ourselves doing this or we notice other people doing that. How about you take the idea of what you do, you will feel into the boardroom, into the meeting room, into the, the wings before you get up to give a speech or whatever, and you choose to make yourself feel not negative through your posture, not low energy through your posture, but high energy. You know, Mark talks about, what is it, riding the crest of the wave. Yeah. Absolutely. That might be on my language. You might not have said that, but stay... Keep communicating from an inspired position. <laughs> but it's absolutely right. Because there's a whole host of things that are going to be happening. Like, you know, when I said, you know, posture, you went boom like this, a massive, great big smile on your face. But the energy, quite seriously, yeah. that suddenly was coming from you was incredible, you know. And what we have to do is create a great first impression. You know, that's our job. Do we have seven seconds? Is, well, there's a lot of all? there's a lot of talk about how you've long should it take. You've got a small amount of time, yeah. That's what you've got means. a very small amount of time. Malcolm Gladwell talks about a fiftieth of a second. No, you know, uh, quicker than it takes us to blink. Which yeah. actually, I hate to have to say it, Malcolm, is now old school thinking because new school thinking is something like it's a thirtieth of a millisecond to create a first impression. Yeah, for the for your fight or flight to decide that you're one of four things. Uh, friend phone. That, that must be visual stimuli primarily then. Yeah, absolutely. 55% body language. And it's really quick. No, I'm talking about what you're wearing, how There'll be an element of that. Absolutely. You mean you've got to it, dress is appropriately. Is, are people judging you? Not consciously. Subconsciously. Not consciously. It's, it's the fight or flight. Deciding you're one of those four things. Friend foe, possible marriage material. And if you're none of those things, you're going to be dismissed. You're definitely my friend. Well, you're definitely marriage material. <laughs> so it's really really rapid i like the hand yeah you see i'm there for you baby i'm there for yeah, you yeah. so it's really rapid and, and it's there's something really empowering again in knowing that if that's the case mm. it's incumbent upon you and me and everybody to make these choices so that we for example are properly groomed you know whether you're male or female or however you identify that you're groomed sufficiently well for your audience you know you fit in with those people that you want to like you basically and the more uh, we look like the people we're going in to meet the more likely they are to come across you know I love wearing pyjamas at bedtime, but if I went into a meeting in my pyjamas first thing in the morning, it wouldn't go down too well. Do you know what I mean? Um, there are times, I mean, it's becoming less and less uh, required now, but blimey, I spent loads and loads of money on beautiful suits, and it makes me sick, really, because no one really wears suits anymore, certainly not with a tie. Um, so those days are kind of gone, but I work a lot with fintech companies, and that is always smart, casual, you know, um, clothing if i went in in my i'm i mean i swear to god i spent loads of money on these things if i went in with my beautifully tailored suit and my wonderfully tailored shirt and my beautifully picked out tie by my wife who did a wonderful job of it they'd look at me like i was some kind of an idiot a dinosaur a buffoon a fool an egypt whereas actually if i went dressed in a nice pair of jeans and a nice top like you i'd fit in like a hand in a glove so i'm not throwing up barriers in what i'm looking like before yeah. i've said anything and then you speak from an inspired state with a little bit of energy, showing the palms of your hands. Absolutely, and absolutely. With a smile on your face. Smile How important is that face? smile? Well, this is really interesting to me, you see, because I think um, a smile is really important. Really it's important. just warmth. It's warmth. Well, it does a number of things, doesn't it? You know, again, what you do, you'll feel. If you smile, you get a little burst of... As long as it's not fake. Well, there's something really interesting about that. Yeah, you don't want to, you don't want to fake a smile. You're not really Tony Blair. But... Um, what I tend to do, 
whenever I need to feel a little happier and a little bit more up, you think is, of a happy place. I think of a happy place. <laughs> I whistle a happy tune. No, I, I smile. I smile. And I use this before every interview, every audition, certainly every time I get up to speak in public, and if I'm delivering new material. Well, that's when I get nervous. So, for example, I went to speak at Kevin Riley's 90-day planning session, and this was just after. Uh, we'd all kind of got back on our feet after COVID. It was my first keynote um, in a very, very long time. So I was using everything I teach. And um, as I was being introduced by Kevin, what starts to happen is people start looking around. They start clocking you. So, in short, I'm sitting up straight. But also, during this process, I let a little smile develop behind my eyes, which then communicates to my lips. Again, it's not an overt smile, but it's, it's, it's a, the, the lips gently turned up. And as people are clocking you, there suddenly, they can see you feeling happy to be there. Now, yes, fake the smile. Why not fake the smile? Because it'll take nanoseconds before your endocrine system gives you a little burst of endorphins, which will make you feel happier in the moment. And when we're happier, we're more confident. And when we're more confident, we tend to communicate better. Listen, here's the thing. Business is serious, but it rarely has to be po-faced. You know, and when you're meeting people for the first time, why not smile? What have you got to lose? There's this, um, I think, uh, misapprehension that a smile shows weakness. Well, stand up straight. What's the alternative? Well, uh, what's the alternative? Yeah, well, 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 the things I see are people not smiling, people looking rather nervous. Or getting- serious. Over serious, like really, it's it's eyebrows like, coming together, yeah, eyebrows coming together, furrowed brow, yeah. and that will all go in with a nicely hunched posture. Yeah, and the thing is, that won't. Ins- if you want people to take you seriously, let the message do it for you. Maybe there's a smile. This is what I'm thinking as you're saying. With uh, an alert but relaxed body language, there's something about that. You know, if you can just relax enough to take yeah. the edge off. Absolutely, and I think it takes practice as well. Whilst being aware, I mean, that's what you just taught us in the last 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Or right. You did say earlier on that you've been in this game yeah. for 20 years. Yeah. You've you've been coaching, teaching, mentoring yep. West West End actors, actresses. Yeah. You've done famous, very famous actors, actresses. You've done world level. I don't want to mention any names here, like well, world class athletes. Yeah, you've yeah. Done, done CEOs. A couple of athletes. You've done business owners. You've um, done leaders. concert pianists, world class concert pianists as yeah, well, so which was recent. Which was I was really proud. You're not always allowed to mention the names. I'm no, very very no. aware of that. So you've been doing it 20 years. Yeah, you are an expert on this, and you know, and I really value all of the stuff that you've helped me with. Okay, who's the best communicator you've ever worked with? Mark Bowden. <laughs> How can I say anything else? The best communicator that I've ever worked with. Gosh, that's a great question. Sometimes what happens is if I'm really lucky, I'll have a chrysalis moment in my workshops. And by that I mean you'll have somebody that comes in and they'll be very nervous and you'll see it in their body language, you can hear it in their tone of voice, they'll lose their train of thought and they'll do all these things that you just know this is all perfectly normal then I take them through the process and sometimes it can be a one-to-one but actually this tends to be with groups and there's a lovely group dynamic that's built and we all have a shared experience and there's a lot of laughter but when you see them using it and at the end when they deliver their speech again they blossom 
It's like the uh, and like I say, this chrysalis moment is like the bursting out of this chrysalis and the most beautiful butterfly, and they're fantastic. So that happens occasionally, so that's a, but that situation, that's yeah. what you. I, I like that. So you practice. People become familiar with it. They get yeah. their head around what they've got to do. Yeah. They go through it a few times and then they go and perform. So I do like that situation yeah. and being a good example of good communication. Yeah, right. You dodge the question. Really oh, well. I didn't mean to. But, you, you know, right. So who do you think is some of the best communicators? When I think of that, mm. I do think of direct talkers. Yeah. Using less words. Mm-hmm. Okay. More impact. So hugely inf- influential and, and to a degree it's like wisdom i look at wise people yeah. uh, as, as that is anyone standing out well for me as, a, as an actor i would say one of the greatest speakers thinking of those things actually was peter o'toole now peter o'toole played lawrence of arabia and quite old school now sadly and people are, you know may not have heard of him but he was a terrific actor and Whenever he spoke, I'll do a little impression for you if you like. But okay, whenever, whenever he spoke, he took his time. It was beautifully pronounced. He took his time to think, do you see? He often smiled while he was talking. And there was always a wonderful anecdote. So for me, great storytelling with a wonderful choice of words and having the courage to pause when you need to. You know, that to me is somebody who will be a great public speaker. Peter Hall, again, forgive me that the examples I'm using are very old school, but Peter Hall was the director of the National Theatre and he directed so many things, productions without number, but he could inspire. And again, actually, it does tie into what you're saying because he was so used to being in front of audiences. He was measured and he would start uh, at a very easy pace and be able to extemporise and be witty, but then be serious, and always make sure his point was made. I think those are the great skills of a public speaker, if you make your point, whilst entertaining people. You know, one of the best TED Talks I've ever seen was Brian Stevenson, you know, the uh, civil rights leader and lawyer. They actually just did a movie uh, about one of his stories, and I can't right. remember who played him, but so he's really, really big time. And he was a great public speaker because he had warmth, he knew when to pause, he told great stories, you know, and there was a real sense of his own personality coming through, you know, be allowing himself to be himself in front of an audience. And that's one of the most simple bits of advice, or just be yourself. Great, but how? When we're nervous, we vanish. Um, you kind of stumped me with that in a way, because I'm trying to think of modern public speakers who I'm very impressed by. Um, let, don't force it. Just okay. let it emerge through the rest Thank of the conversation. You. Thank because you. we've got some real good stuff there. Okay. I mean, you talked about laughter and humour. Mm. Why is that impactful when we're communicating? There's something really interesting about laughter, right? It is impactful, but it's not... Like, for example, I'm going to flatter myself now. I'm going, to, I'm, going to t- I'm going to tell you something about myself, which I think is true. I think I'm quite a funny bloke. I think I've got quite a good sense of humour. I love bringing laughter into the workshops. Um, I've been on stage for God knows how many, since 1978, and I know how to get a laugh. However, you've got to be ever so careful if you're going to predicate everything you communicate by 
getting a laugh. If it's all about getting a laugh, you've got to be really careful because it's hard. And one of my CEOs, fantastic bloke who will remain nameless, um, he said, I went in on a one-to-one with him and he said, look, just, just before you start, I just want to tell you the things that I teach people. I said, oh, well, that's fantastic. I thought, nick all his stuff. This is superb. He said, the first thing I tell people is, you know, when you're in front of your audience, try and get them to relax by, you know, getting a laugh out of them. And I, I, I absolutely blenched because I thought that is, that's impossible. It's so hard. If you've got to go out there and the first thing you've got to do is get a laugh, yeah, yes. that's terrifying. They reckon stand-up comedy is one of the hardest things to God. ever accomplish. Well, you know, there's a tale to tell there. I did do a bit, and uh, I, I had a few nights that went well, and most, most of the time it was the most deafening silence I've ever experienced because I didn't stick with it for long enough because I was doing it in between acting jobs and then work came in, but I, I missed um, making a great success of it, and there's a little hole in my heart, the shape of the possibility of that. But the point being here is that I went up in front of an audience of Builders. They were in the construction industry. And I was introduced, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll make a little joke. And uh, it didn't get a laugh. And I suffered for the rest of the day because they held it against me. I always say, look, if you've got a sense of humour, relax on it. It will show itself. It will show itself, it will come through, and it will be a wonderful thing to behold because it's organic. It's you. It's how you like to amuse or be amused, you know. How important is it? Well, for me, it's really important for other people, does it depend on your personality then, and how much humour is important to you? I genuinely think you know what humour you have and how you express that humour in life is how you should express it during meetings, during well, presentations. What you did get me thinking, though, as you said that, I just made a note of it. Is you know, you know, the moments. I'm, I'm sure we've all been through this when we communicate, and it certainly happened to me. And I'm guessing even the other best of the best, it's happened to you at some point. Something's going really wrong, and you just want the world to swallow you up, take you away. Whether maybe it's mid presentation, maybe it's mid pitch, yeah, maybe it's mid meeting with your boss, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do you handle that? Because it's going to happen to everybody. It does happen, doesn't Mm. it? Mm. Yeah. And you got to be able to brush it off, and even better, brush it off in the moment. You you plan a joke. And no one laughs. Yeah. Move on. Move on, my friend. Yeah, this, you're talking about my stand-up comedy career, aren't you? Which yeah. lasted only about four or five months. Look, it was tough. If, if you're talking in, in the realms of in a business meeting or getting up and yeah. giving a presentation or whatever it might be, making a mistake in the moment, there's a couple of things that are really useful to remember. There's, there's, there's the one idea which is not your friend, and that is the spotlight effect. That is when you've made your, your mistake and it's like, boom, you think everybody's seen it, yeah? Everybody's noticed it. I've just mucked up my words. I've just, I've just uh, uh, forgotten what I was supposed to say. I've just dropped something, whatever it might be, or I've forgotten what I was going to say, whatever. And it's like that light goes, boom. And you just think everyone's seen it. Time slows down. You get a bead. This is this is not a flop sweat today. This is just because it's hot. But you get a flop sweat. And like you say, you want the ground to swallow you up. That is the spotlight effect. Now, that is not our friend. Because we're the ones magnifying the mistake. Yeah. Yeah? We're the ones making it bigger. Um, if I pronunciate my words, ooh, and I think people might have heard that, I can then go into this downward vortex of beating myself up or pick myself up and go, yep, that happened. That happened, move on. That spotlight effect 
we can counter it if we think about something else, which is the pratfall effect. Do you know what a pratfall is? I'm thinking of a prat falling out of a window or something. <laughs> Similar to that. So it makes me sad, really, because a pratfall, we all used to know what a pratfall was. Um, it's, it's what physical comedians use. So think of Charlie Chapman. Think of, yeah. you know, um, oh, okay, Oliver yeah. and Hart. Oliver, what are a they pretend called? pretend fall, yeah. Oliver and Hart. Not Oliver and Hardy. What are they called? Laurel and Hardy. Laurel and Hardy, thank you. I'm getting old, you see. Think of Laurel and Hardy, you know, continually using gravity yep. as a basis for their comedy, falling down on their backsides. Charlie Chaplin, right? It, that's so true, isn't it? Yeah. Use it. Yeah. It's, it's humour. Well, it's, it's well, certainly. But what we're, what we're highlighting here is the idea of making a mistake in front of people. Now, we see on screen Charlie Chaplin walking down the street. We also then, they cut to a banana skin. Ooh, hang on. We know what's going to happen here. And sure enough, Charlie slips on it and boom, lands on his backside and we all laugh. Now, why do we laugh? We laugh because we've all slipped on a banana skin we've all made a mistake but in this situation it's not happening to us it's happening to charlie so we recognize his pain we see it in ourselves and we laugh at charlie and also we laugh at ourselves it's called the eternal reciprocity of tears which is a wonderful expression that what it means is if you make a mistake i can identify with that small mistake you know people let you off they let you off that that, that's the thing Probably more than 90%, probably 99% of the audience wants you to perform. They want you to and, perform, and they want you to do well, yeah, absolutely. They want you to speak clearly, you know, and they forgive. They can be very forgiving, absolutely. What, you'd, what I would never do is say, oh yeah, you know, manufacture a little mistake because that will make people like you. Never, ever do that. That would be the worst thing you can do. But if you, get out, if you come out of that mistake really well, if you handle it well, if you say yes to that mistake instead of no, what we tend to do when we make a mistake is shrink, stop breathing, and then we stop thinking. Yeah? i tell you one thing that's, that's helped me, and just comment on that, is being aware of what you're giving energy. Yes. If you're thinking about your mistake, you're giving energy to the mistake. If you say yeah. sorry for my mistake, I made this. You get once again, you're giving energy to, you know. But if the next thing that you got to talk about are the cups, and we've, yeah. you know, we've we've got to produce ten million of these cups. <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the, you know, start giving energy to that, and yeah. Exactly. I mean, that, that's so true. If you focus on the mistake, that's then you're in the spotlight effect. Well, Chris Voss. Mm-hmm. He says, you can't be curious and anxious at the same time. That's interesting. So usually you're anxious or nervous or or tense. Yeah. Yeah. After making a mistake. Yeah. So he always, he always says, become curious about something else, you know, ask a question, move on. Yeah. Let's figure out this, how we're going to sell 10 million of these cups. And the thing is, of course, when you do that, you're moving away from that energy, from what just happened, and you're dealing with the mistake really well. And if you do that, actually, you can gain a few brownie points. Yeah, well, people love seeing a mistake being handled well, don't they? Yeah, they do. So you you end up gaining points there. Yeah. You did talk about pausing. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about effective pauses for emotion. Yeah. Well, how do people do that bit? How do you pause for deepened emotion? And do you have to change your tone? You notice now I'm speaking a little bit quieter. Yes, I did. It's brilliant. Um, so if we're thinking in terms of a simple presentation, yeah. use pausing. Yeah. People tend to avoid doing it. 
They don't like doing it because, and I've asked this question. It's drama. It's dramatic, yeah? Oh, if you use a pause, it is incredibly impactful, but it's great for your status. You know, I think I mentioned about, um, oh, that geezer who did the TED Talk, his name escapes me now, Brian Stevenson. He used beautiful pausing. Most brilliant public speakers aren't afraid to pause because they're in the moment. You know, interestingly... And, and they know what they're saying, and they've practised. All of that, they know what they're saying, they've practised it, absolutely. But equally, people that will extemporise, they'll know when to pause, because it's, it's happening, they're in the moment, you know. Um, do you know, in normal conversation, we pause, or mini-pause, once every 25 words, which is a lot. I just did one in there. It's fantastic. If we, if we go out and we don't pause, we stop sounding like human beings. We just sound like we're spitting data. Now... So try and embrace the pause. New subject, yes, drop in a pause. New slide, drop in a pause. All of that. When you're listening to somebody ask, answering, uh, asking you a question, for God's sake, pause and don't jump in. Um, pauses can be hugely valuable. They can be great for heightening emotion. But I think you've got to align. You've got to allow yourself and get used to pausing. But if you're in the moment of the story, that pause will happen quite naturally and it won't become a pregnant pause or a self-conscious pause or a rehearsed pause if you allow yourself to be in the moment and be present yeah allow yourself to be in the moment be present then that pause will do what it's supposed to of course you know if you if you're a keynote speaker and you want a moment to have an effect you will rehearse that in and it will make perfect sense you know does it take courage to pause well, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think when you're nervous, you are much less likely to pause. You fill a void. You fill the gap. You fill the gap with noise. Absolutely. You know, I ask people, why, when you get up to speak in public, why don't you pause? And they say, well, if I'm not pausing, um, if, sorry, if, I, if I'm pausing, I'm not communicating. Of course, that's not true. If you're not pausing, you're going to sound like there's something very, very seriously wrong with the way that you speak normally, and people are going to think you're a machine instead of a human being. And they'll, apart from anything, they'll switch off quite quickly. Now, pauses are a beautiful thing. They give, in that pause, they give the audience, or whoever's in a meeting with you, or on a one-to-one -one yeah. or whatever, time to assimilate what you've just said and prepare for what you're about to say, you know? So if we go on Google, and we type in, what is communication? Mm. I'm sure at some point he's going to say communication is a two-way process and it involves two things, speaking and listening. Yeah. You're talking about being present and about listening. And it just seems listening is one of those skills. Do you, do you ever stop improving your ability to listen? Is there anyone that's the, that's the finished article? The best listener in the world. Gosh. Is there anyone? Well, I, I know that... Um Certainly, when I, when I, uh, so I, I got a diploma in exec coaching, and one of the things that they taught you there was this, this whole idea of listening really well. Listening with your eyes, listening with your ears, and listening with your heart to what's going on. Listening, of course, is a vital skill. And if you're, a, for example, lots of people who uh, be listening and looking will be networkers, you know? And one of the things people dread about going networking is that they've got to talk about their business. Well, I've written a book about networking, actually. And there's one tip that I'd like to share with everybody, which is when you go, don't go to talk. Go to listen. Takes the pressure off us. Oh, absolutely. And of course, if, you know, the best conversation is the person that does most of the listening. And I've, you know, you'll hear people go, oh, he was a lovely fellow. He was just great, fantastic. 
won't have said much, but you're listening and you're taking an interest. You, you've, you've also made people feel special. I think there's an art to that. No, in fact, look, let's move there because that mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. top class. Mm. You know, and, and let's even include listening in it. How do you make people feel special when you communicate with them? Right, there's two things here. If, if you, ha- like, for example, Stephen Daldry, theatre director, he directed, um, oh goodness, well, he, he directed The Crown, actually, but he also did, is, that, is it Billy Elliot, the one about the tap oh, dancer? Yeah. yeah, right, so he directed that. So he's done loads and loads of stuff. Stephen Daldry is incredibly charming. And uh, there's a number of other people that I met in the business. And when you meet them, you're like floating on, an, on, the, on this cushion of love because you, they make you feel so special. And they're not being insincere. What they're doing is they're absolutely focusing on you for that time. And it's quite sincere. When they've moved away, they'll be focusing on that person. And then suddenly you want, you want them to look at you again and be nice to you. But it's the ability, I think, to stay present. If you want to use some techniques to help people feel really listened to, you'll, you'll, um, you'll repeat back, won't you? You'll agree and repeat back. What about charm and mm-hmm. charisma mm-hmm. go on what about charm and charisma because charm overplayed is smarmy yeah 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 yeah. don't look at me like that when you <laughs> say it <laughs> my feelings go on but, the, but there's also charm which is warm there's always the, and I don't know I mean some people do mention charismatic Mm. people Mm -hmm. good communicators and especially when we're tying it in with this making people feel special i mean have you got any opinion on that charisma is a really interesting thing so for example they'll be they'll speak well they'll hold your eye contact they'll have great tone of voice they'll be utterly plausible yeah but what if they're lying then they're a confidence trickster aren't they so there's plenty of confidence tricksters out there that will use their charm to rip you off and actually, what I say to all my clients is, you, you know, I'm, I'm hoping you're all good people and true. Yeah, well, look, it's a really good point. I think, look, obviously I'm coming at this from, a, from people with pure values here. Yeah, yes. You know, so that's where I'm coming at this from. So let's, let's assume someone has got pure values. Yeah. You know, they, they are bothered about other people. Mm-hmm. They're not entirely selfless or anything yeah, like that. Sure. They, you know, they might want to be successful themselves. So um, I don't mean from an ego perspective, just they're ambitious, yeah. but they do care about other people. Yeah, sure. At that point, is charm and charisma a good thing? This, it's really intriguing, you know, this notion of charm. If it's utterly organic, then it's true, isn't it? It's, I think, the moment that you start to try and create charm, that's when you move into smarm. And can you, you know, you you can tell, can't you? You can tell, you can smell it on people when they're being insincere. The the stars don't line up. On a subconscious level, what happens is you don't build rapport. Yeah. Yes. Rapport's lost. There's something really interesting. If you, like, with people who are nervous, we tend to lean toward them and look after them. Yes, because we know what it's like to feel nervous. With people who come across as overconfident and often yeah. manufactured charm is overconfident and a bit brash, we can move away. 
we can move away. Now, it's, it, it is interesting, isn't it? Because on the one hand, we say, oh, we won't buy into it. But on, seconds ago, I was saying confidence tricksters use this stuff all the time. They're lying. We are, like you said, we're talking about people who are coming from the right place. If you're coming from the right place, there's no need to try and manufacture charisma or charm. I don't think so. You know, um, the, look, I know that when I was a younger man and I tried to be cool, I'd just turn into an idiot. When I was trying to be cool, if I wanted to impress a girl, I'd suddenly not be myself. And that's when the mistakes happen. I'd trip up the steps and drop my pint on her dress or whatever. I'd look an idiot. So you lose your sincerity and then it all, like you said, you, you back away. That's what I think about charm. I think it, as long as it's, it's real, it's beautiful. Point. Yeah, it's got to be real. It's, mm. then, then, then there's a chance it's, it can be beautiful. Absolutely. Let's talk about the other area you just talked about, confidence, yeah? Because mm-hmm. I was away last week, and this is a pure coincidence, and I bumped into a lady called Fiona. Oh, yes. And she didn't know I was speaking to you this week, by the way. All right. This, was pure, this is literally pure coincidence, but yeah. would you believe it? You trained her. Hmm. And I asked her, what, what, what was the biggest thing that you got from it? You know what she said? She said confidence. Really? She's a business owner. Yeah. She says he was so important because it gave me confidence. Mm. It was the relationship between communica- effective communication and mm. confidence. Mm. What's, the, What's relationship? the relationship? If you can create... Look, we are, the first thing we're going to do is buy. We buy the person first and everything else second. Yeah, and if you're confident, we're more likely to buy into you. Not overconfident, but confident. And what I think, and and I'm pretty sure Fiona won't mind me saying this, but what we were able to give Fiona was a series of techniques that when she used them, yes, absolutely, what you do, you will feel. When she used these techniques, two things are happening. You're, You're doing something positive, Yes, in place of something negative. But the physiological effect of that is it's going to make you feel more grounded, more focused, more in the moment, more ready to go. Now, Fiona had really practiced her stuff, which is rare. Yeah, most people turn up and they haven't practiced. So that's another discussion. But Fiona was an exception to the rule here and she practiced her stuff. We were able to, I was able to, with her and the group, experiment Uh, with techniques that ground you, that give you grit, that give you resolve, you know. And they work like an absolute charm, these things. And if you use them, they will work. And I think what I always want to do for my clients is make sure that they've had an experience where they put everything together and can feel the reward. And it really did feel on the day, and certainly from what you're saying, that Fiona came away with stuff that she could create confidence in the moment, built on her expertise, her knowledge, and the practice that she put into it. I think that's the challenge for us all, isn't it? To be able to perform in the moment. And yeah. what we're talking about here is communication, which is, and there's moments, don't have to be just in business, so this can be in personal life as well, yeah. at home yeah. with your loved ones, with your children, with your husbands, with your wives, with yeah. your friends, with your family. You know, performing in the moment, you've mentioned that, I gave her the skills, so she... To be grounded, I think you said. Yeah, grounded, yeah. What do you mean? Okay. Often what you'll see when people get up to speak um, is that they, they might have a number of emotional leakage points which don't help them. So she, let's take it away from Fiona. 
Okay, let's just think generically about a client who might stand with what I call a left heel raise, yeah? And they're rocking forward and they're slouched down. So who's going to feel comfortable standing like that? Well, nobody. Well, why are people doing it? Because they're not thinking about it. It happens to them. Well, they stood up with left heel raise. Oh, absolutely. Or they'll be rocking or they'll do a double heel raise. I've had people, there's something that I call Texas Jake, which is... knees tapping. Well, you've got the knees tapping. But Texas Jake is when people stand with their feet wide apart. That's a, that's a sort of power posturing thing, but most people don't realise they're doing it. So that's what I call Texas Jake. But then you've got the Elvis, which is the Texas Jake with the right knee wobbling, and it really does look like they're doing an impression of Elvis. And you say, look, you go through them in your notes and you say, right, you, you knew you were doing that? No, I didn't have a clue. No. Because what's happening is the fight or flight is taking over, and all these little emotional leakage things are, are to make them feel more confident, Yeah. And this is just a tell. The, the trembling knee is just a tell of anxiety, lack of uh, ease, dis-ease, right. you know. So when you then say, look, here we go, you now have a choice. You can either start like that or you can start like this. Let's see if it makes a difference. And, it's, and it's, for some people, it might be one of those techniques. For another, it will be a completely different technique that will help them, that will give them the key. See, this is what I say, is that, because I'm not particularly prescriptive in what I do. It's broad with the idea to help people be themselves. And I always say, look, this, is, this training is like a key that I'm giving you to open a treasure chest of skills and abilities that you've already got, but that you're just not using. Now, a lot of that is body language. Like you've Terrific amount of it is body language. There was a great TED Talk by Amy Cuddy. Mm-hmm. And, and it, was, it was about... The importance of body language and the impact on confidence. Yeah, yeah. She, I mean, she, that was a seriously good... I should get her on this podcast if possible. I mean, she would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And is that what you give people when you ground them and that body language? Is it the, is it the key? Is that giving people There's confidence? a number... There's a, that will certainly lower your anxieties, definitely make you feel more confident, but it's not... If you were to just say, for example, do that, Definitely things would mend. But you've also got to look at things like, you know, pausing, uh, the pace that you're speaking at, the energy level that you're putting to something. Because, again, um, you can't keep dishing up the same thing to your audience. Otherwise, you'll you'll lose their attention. Because if you've got the same energy level throughout, that means you've probably got the same volume and the same tonality. So pretty much before you know it, everything's coming out at the same pace with the same volume in the same tone. And I hate to have to say it, it's boring for people. It's tough. It's dull. So how do we then take that message and get the audience to engage with it? Those are the other elements. Be more expressive on the big points. Yeah. More emotional on the emotional points. Yeah. Take risks. Take risks. You know, go outside your comfort zone. And actually what you find is that when How quickly pe- in, in what you're doing should you go outside the comfort zone? Well, that, well that's really interesting. Rehear- if it's a presentation, right, you rehearse and you kick yourself outside your comfort zone. You, you, kick- you, know, you, always, you might not even remember this. You always said to me, go bigger right at the start. Go bigger. Yeah. Go bigger now. Yeah. No, bigger. Yeah, no, bigger. <laughs> however, however, in your mind, I mean, that's what I got from that bit of coaching that you did with me. It's like, mm. however, I was thinking was big. It just yeah. was not big enough. I was just restricting. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. It's like um, you've got to commit. Yeah, yeah, commit to that first thing. 
Now, there's somebody whose name I can't... I'm struggling to remember, and he's a mate, so this is really not good. Um, we can edit this, can't we? We can edit this? <laughs> not this bit, no. Oh, blimey. We're not, not going to edit this oh, bit. Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> he'll, he'll All right, so he's a stand-up comedian, and he's a brilliant guy, and he's, he's got a company called um, Stand Up and Deliver. He's absolutely brilliant. And he will say to people, the first thing you've got to do is utterly commit to the first thing you say. It is, yeah. And it's a great bit of advice. I must remember his name. God, look, look at that fruit, that quote. Utterly commit. Yeah. So what does that mean to you? And you know, think about is that one hundred percent commitment to the first thing that you're going to say? Yeah. It adds a lot more power. Commit to, to it. Say, Don't it? be afraid of what you're about to say. This this does tie in with rehearsal again. Yeah. But if your first line is, you know, uh, uh, let's have a quick think. Um, here's an interesting fact: uh, a part of every newborn baby is half a billion years old. Now, that's a fascinating fact. It's the fight or flight, isn't it? It's the reptilian brain. You caught my attention, though. There you go. It's curi- you got curiosity with it. Yes, you got a great big statement. That's a big fact. That's fascinating. But if I said... Um, so here's, here's something very interesting. Um, did you know that um, part of every newborn baby, part of every newborn baby is, is actually half a billion years old? Um, and that's one thing, but that's not committing to it. If I were being really brave, I wouldn't even say, did you know, or here's an interesting thing. The applause would die down. I'd be introduced, and out of the silence, I'd say, a part of every newborn baby is half a billion years old. Isn't that incredible? Do you know what that is? And all of a sudden, because I've committed, I've kind of... There's a lovely thing called doorways, a lovely technique called doorways. And I would suggest, like, if you imagine that you're standing in between a doorway and it's bisecting your body, yeah, yeah if you do that, you're going to actually find a sense of quiet confidence. If, try this at home when you get a chance, if you were to stand behind that, in your mind's eye, stand behind the doorway, you'd find your energy dropping and you're feeling slightly less confident. It's actually a very, very good technique for listening. If you go behind your door, you're still present, but you're able to take stuff on. If you stand three foot in front of your door, you'd be staggered about how energised and how out there you would feel. It's It's just an extraordinary thing. So I would suggest whenever... You're going to start, stand three foot in front of your doorway. It's a brilliant technique, actually, for networking. You know, you're talking about communicating on a one-to-one in the moment. If you get nervous about networking, and most people do, imagine that you're standing in your doorway, and it's going to make you feel more grounded and more secure. Got some quick questions for you here coming up. Come on, then. Are you ready for this? I'm sir? ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. Oh, squire. Squire. <laughs> What's your favourite book? Oh, what a great question. My favourite book. You're throwing, you're throwing these sort of sensible, good questions where the, oh, I've got to come up with an answer. My favourite book. Well, I'll tell you what it is. Actually, it's Talk Like Ted. If it's, a, if it's a business book, that is a brilliant book. There's two Fantastic books. There's TED thing. Talks and Talk Like Ted, and, and I do prefer Talk Like Ted. I prefer Talk Like Ted. And then the other thing, actually, Mark Bowden, of course, he's getting a name check, Winning Body Language. Utterly fantastic. Utterly fantastic. Uh, brilliant book. Yeah. Right. What's your favourite movie? Oh, now that's a really interesting one, isn't it? What's my favourite movie? When I ask, when we have this discussion with my kids or with my wife, we start to think, well, look, let's make it easier. Let's talk about genres. My favourite movie is a thing called What's New Pussycat? And you won't have heard of it because I'm getting old now, mate, and people don't know my cultural references. They just don't get them. But it's Peter O'Toole, it's Peter Sellers, and it's a brilliant, brilliant madcap comedy. And I've watched it so many times. I like you, mad. 
bit like me, a bit mad, a bit mad, a bit mad. And the other thing is, um, it's called Sleuth. And it stars Michael Caine, who I know people have heard of, and an old man called Laurence Olivier, who was the best actor that the, the 20th century produced. And that is two actors with a brilliant script having a fantastic time. And there was a time when I could recite practically the whole film because I'd seen it so many times. So that's got to be the winner, actually. Beautiful. Love, love. Yeah. What about your favourite music? My favourite music? I wish I had a better answer than this. I, my musical tastes are... They're not eclectic, they're vague. However, if you were to say, Paul, going on the old desert island, what's the album of your choice? It would be one of two things. It would be Stevie Wonder, Songs in the Key of Life, or it would probably be Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. Yeah? Or something modern that the young people would identify with as well. Nice. (laughs) Well, let's see what the listeners think. Yeah. Right, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Being invisible. Why? Well, go around and nick things. Uh, no, I think <laughs> <laughs> we could just listen in and see what's going Matt, on. Max like that. Point, is, is yeah. that <laughs> yeah. We're getting a few waves actually in the yeah. studio today. I just love the idea of being invisible, so that actually you could fly under the radar, you know, and um, you know, nick a couple of bickies right. without getting told off. Invisible, hey. Yeah. There we go. Right. Yeah. Favorite holiday destination. Oh, that's a great question. All right, Estella in Spain. Estella is in the north of Spain, and I've been there goodness gracious me maybe 15 times and i used to go every year to be with friends uh, to the fiesta and we'd run with the bulls and get you know drink too much and laugh too much and speak broken spanish so i went there i've been there about 15 or 16 times over the years so that is my favorite holiday destination spain quieres para mi hablar un poco español hombre Sí, señor. Well, there aren't any more. That's, I'm very good at that bit. It's a bit vague, but I, I, do, I do speak a bit of Spanish. Dos veces grande, por favor, señor. No problema. Tienes el dinero suficiente. Oh, you sound very, very good. Thank very you. Good, yeah, <laughs> mi español es muy limitado, pero mi acento es estupendo, which means my Spanish is very limited, but my accent's stupendous. Yeah, you are stupendous. Thank you. Oh, there we have it. <laughs> Early bird or night owl? Oh, uh, night owl. Really? Yeah, yeah. Love it. Yeah. This podcast goes out one minute past midnight. Fantastic. I'll be there. Morning. I'll you, be there, yeah, mate. You, you get it at that point. <laughs> right. If you could have one day in the life of anyone else's life. Yeah. It could be previous history or it could be someone, someone who's living now. Yeah. Who would you choose and why? What a great question. If I could live a day. Do you know what? It would probably be Ringo Starr. Ringo Starr. Because I get to be one of the Beatles. Yeah. And because, you know... He was very popular, That's of course, cool, but it? he wasn't John Lennon. He wasn't Paul McCartney. who got a lot of the attention, um, and, but he was still fun and quite dynamic, and people were in, they enjoyed his company. He wasn't the quiet, moody which one day? like George. What? what, what oh, which Nick, day? Nick, yeah, yeah, yeah. You said such a good answer. I've got to ask you which day. Okay, the day they recorded. Uh, get by with a little help from my friends because I could is help him favorite, sing the high note because he struggled on the high is note. Is that your favorite Beatles song? Uh, it is a great song. It is, but it is a beautiful imagine. song. Imagine. Let it be. Let it be. There's all. Oh, there's so many, aren't there? Crikey! But that that I would that that for me. Get by with a little help from my friends. I mean, how good is that? It's a great title. Song. It's a great title. But I would love to be him because you right. get you get to enjoy all the Beatlemania and mm. and at the same time observe it at the same uh, in the same moment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm surprised by that answer, but I I rather like it. It's very nice. Indeed. Thank you. Um, three biggest trusted advisors in your life. My wife, absolutely. Nada Sharp, absolutely. Rosie Onyet, who was my drama teacher. She taught me from when I was 13, 
right the way through. And my goodness me, I taught alongside her in the end. And she was one of my lifelong best friends. And, uh, and my dad. What did you get from your dad? I got the notion of acceptance and non-judgment, being non-judgmental. He was a gentle giant, my dad, and he was very witty, he was very warm, but he was hugely compassionate, and he never, never judged people. You know, he was always... always you, never, uh, you never judged people. I, I, I wish that that could be said. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, in, in certain spaces, we all extend compassion. Um, I can be... Do you know I play Kenneth Williams? Yeah, yeah. Nobody knows who he is either. But he, he's the bloke in the in the uh, in the Carry On films who used to say things like, "Oh, in for me, in for me." They've all got it in for me. Now that's not a bad impression. I played him on stage, but I'm a bit like Kenneth Williams because he could be you, a bit. Do you look a bit like him. I do when I do this. Oh, oh <laughs> matron, oh matron. When I said, "Let's have it off," I meant let's have it off, not let's have it off. <laughs> you won't be able to use that. It's a bit too rude. Oh, we definitely. Using oh, good. That. Use it. There you go. But he could be a bit waspish. I can be a bit waspish. No, I can be. A bit bit short-tempered um frustrated by people i don't show it but um but yeah my dad definitely compassion warmth and and a forgiving nature like, as you were saying that because I, I felt you got a bit emotional about that mm. as well so not just your dad though the two ladies that came before your dad as well yeah yeah well the, they gave the lady me so that much taught you at 13 and, and your wife yeah she teaches me something every day whether i like it or not <laughs> but she's amazing you know she is and very wise and very caring and very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Forbearing. We've been together for 30 years. You know, you, you, it's a long time. It is a long time. Mm. If the listeners should do one thing on the back of this in, around the field of communication, what should it be? Around the field of communication. Uh, in any environment. Yeah. If you, if, if you could say this is the most important action that people take from everything that we've discussed. Yeah, actually, I would say it's commit to the first thing you say. And if you ask questions, take a genuine interest in the answer. And would the second thing be prepare? Yeah. If it's presentations, that's absolutely the first thing. Absolutely the, the first thing. Say it out loud. I don't want to influence you with my comment there. Mm. I, I was anticipating what you were going to say or not, but I just loved what you said there. Commit to the first thing that you yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Squeeze your lemon, make a sound, commit to it, help people buy into your message by it coming forward. Not asking people to go into your space to hear what you're saying i've really enjoyed this i'm struggling yeah. to pick a, a favorite part but i had one written down earlier on i'm going to change it mm -hmm. how you answered the ringo star question <laughs> yeah. that was my favorite part that that day why you choose that day and uh, you know you get by with a little help from my friend that's what you do people oh. get by with the help of you and you are mm. you become the friend that was my favourite bit. What was your favourite bit? What of today? This conversation. I liked it when podcast. we got a bit flirtatious together, but uh, yeah, I'm there for you, baby. Oh. I've loved the whole thing. Oh, come here. There we go. Oh, this is great, go. isn't it? I've loved the whole thing. It's just great. I love your questions. I love the, um, the fact that you gave me time to think about some of my answers. But, you know, it's great having questions because it does stimulate thought. And I've come out with a few things today that, you know, discoveries of my own, which is always great when you have a decent conversation with someone. There you've got it, folks. The great, the mighty, Paul Ryan. Thank, Thank you very you. much.